everybody. That'll wake you up. All right. Uh, hey, as PT and Laura said, we are moving. So we got this Sunday and next Sunday, and that's it. I'll tell you what, it's weird. Like, you know, the reactions that were kind of mixed. I'm kind of that way, too. You know, I'm like really excited for the new, woo, I'm really excited for the new space. I'm also finding myself incredibly nostalgic. Like Danielle and I have been part of this church for like 18 years. There was a three year gap where we went to Ohio. So 15 years we've been in this building and it's weird. And we just got a call from our developers that, are, that bought the place and they said, hey, uh, we're, you wanna keep working on that? Wanna bring that down a little bit? Yeah. Um, they said, hey, uh, we're demoing on November 15th. You guys want to be there? And I'm like, kind of? You know, like, it's going it's to be really cool. But at the same time, I'm like, man, it's going to be so strange to watch this building go down. But praise the Lord that he's not contained to a building, right? I mean, that's the reality of this, is he's not contained to a building. And so uh, this is our new building. If you haven't seen it yet, this is 400 East 4th Street. Uh, we are the owners. I got the keys this week. So, uh, for those of you that have not been there, there's a parking garage across the way on 300 East 5th Street. So make sure if you drive in on a Sunday morning, um, you know, park there because there's not a lot of parking. It's all street parking. There is plenty of parking in the parking garage. If you've never been there, Go up to 4th Street Market for lunch today. Grab some lunch up there so you can kind of familiarize yourself with the area. But that's our new building. It doesn't look that pretty yet because there's a bunch of boarded up windows. We figured we're going to keep the boards on the windows at least until after the election. Because regardless of how the election goes, somebody's going to be really mad. Right? And, and so we're going to keep the boards up for a little while in case there's any more protests and all that kind of stuff that happens. Um, and so after the election kind of calms down, who knows when that'll be? As long as civil war doesn't break out, we will eventually take those boards off the windows. All right. So, uh, but so next week, as they said, next week is our last service here. We actually have some people that are going to come in that that used to come to the church that have been part of the church over the past ten years that are going to come in just to say goodbye. People that have got married here and that sort of thing. They said, hey, when's the last service? We want to make sure we're there. Uh, and so you know, call people, invite people, get people in. And then we're going to have a big celebration service on November 1st. We don't know how that's going to look yet, uh, but our district supervisor wants to show up. So we're going to have two big fun services right in a row for the next few weeks. All right. And so uh, get, get involved with that. It's going to be fun. Uh, the new building, just so everybody knows, it's going to be kind of raw for the first six months or so. We're going to tear up carpet and we're going to have raw concrete. There's a lot of raw brick. There's raw ceilings. It's kind of going to be a big, empty, industrial type space for a little while. Uh, we're going to set everything up as best we can, but we're not doing renovations for the first few months because we need the city to kind of approve of a lot of the planning. Because the new space is not your typical church, if, uh, for those of you who don't know, the new space is going to have an events hall in the downstairs, but the main thrust of the downstairs is going to be kind of retail spaces that run as small businesses, but also run as ministries. They give back to the community and they make disciples. And so we're setting up some retail spaces downstairs. The best example of this is, is our gym. We have Total Fit Gym that's here. Uh, they reach the community. In fact, they reach a whole lot of people that we probably wouldn't reach on a Sunday morning. We have Muslims at the gym. We have Mormons at the gym. You know, we have LGBT at the gym. 
people who would never feel comfortable in a Sunday morning service. And so make disciples, reach the community, that sort of thing. So the entire downstairs is going to be that. And then upstairs we're going to have classrooms and we are going to have office space and our kids' church areas. It's 30,000 square feet of space, which is 10 times the size of this building. Okay, we don't have a big parking lot. We don't have three and a half acres, but it's a lot of building. And so it's going to take us three to four months to, to plan that out and to, and to design it. Then it's going to take three to four months just to get the structural changes done, and then another three to four months to polish it up and paint everything and make it all look fancy. So we're talking like this time next year is when it's actually going to be a brand new building, all right? So I know it's super exciting to move, but you know when we move in there, don't go, oh, good Lord, what did we do? You know what I mean? Like, don't get discouraged when you see that it's just this raw kind of open warehouse kind of a space right now. All right, it's going to take some time, but we're going to make it fancy for Jesus. Okay, so last week we talked about uh, worship realized. We kind of, actually the last two weeks we have. Um, I had the privilege of talking about musicality last week, right? And how we were created by song. I mean, when God said, it actually most literally translates as God sang, let there be light, and God sang these things into existence. And so we were created by music, and God is a very musical being. The, the most commanded action in the Bible is to sing unto the Lord or to sing a new song unto the Lord. Wor- worship is music, right? But worship is not exclusively music. Um, last week we talked about how your body is basically an instrument and you have your voice, you can speak, you can shout, you can sing. You have your hands, which you can clap, you can lift them, or you can raise them up high as a sign of surrender. And then you have your posture, you can kneel, you can... Um, or you can stand, you can kneel, and you can dance before the Lord. And so hopefully from this point on, our worship times together, our music times together, become a lot more engaging because it's not just PT and Zoe and Sky and Eli or Matt or me who's just playing instruments. Like you have an instrument that you can contribute to the whole experience. Amen? But I was hoping that somebody else was going to do this teaching today because I know that there, there, there has been this weird you know, thought pattern about me that I don't like music. And it's true, like, I'm very picky about music. I, I feel a little bit like Anton Ego and Ratatouille, if you've seen that, where, you know, they say, you know, you, he says, I love food. And they're like, but you're so skinny. And he's like, I only eat what I love. Right? Like, that's kind of how I feel about music as a whole. And that's probably why I've gotten this. But the reality is that worship is more than music. It's almost like how, you know, every pug is a dog, but not every dog is a pug, right? Like, worship is, or music can be worship, but not all worship is music. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's only one part of this. And I believe we know this inherently because we all love when worship songs call this out in us, right? So remember this one from like 10 years ago? When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come. Like when the music is turned off, this is worship. And it's weird and ironic because it's a musical song, right? Longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you've required. You search much deeper within through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, right? The heart of worship, according to Matt Redman here, has nothing to do with music, right? Okay, here's a newer song. Jimmy Needham, I think is his name. Clear the stage and set the sound and lights ablaze if that's the measure you must take to crush the idols. Jerk the pews and all the decorations too until the congregations spew and then have revival. 
Tell your friends that this is where the party ends until you're broken for your sins and you can't be social. Then seek the Lord and wait for what he has in store and know that great is your reward, so just be hopeful. Because you can sing all you want to, you can sing all you want to, you can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Oh, worship is more than a song. That's on the radio right now. And like Christians are like, yeah, amen. But you're singing it. You know what I mean? And so this is a weird tension that we have within Christianity where we know that worship is more than music, yet we call our music teams worship teams, right? And we call our music half an hour, 45 minutes, our worship time. And so it's a really weird thing for me. In fact, worship has even become not just music, but worship has become a very specific genre of Western Christian music. Right? Because if you go to Africa and like go to some remote tribe, they're going to worship in a different way than we do. And it always bothers me to go on missions trips because we sit there and, and we bring our acoustic guitars and we sing Chris Tomlin songs and Bethel songs and Hillsong songs to remote tribes in Africa or to you know uh, people in Korea. It's a weird dynamic to try. It's almost like a it's almost like a colonization. You know what I mean? And we've really got to be aware that we do this. It's kind of in our DNA. And by the way, we don't just do it when we go out on missions trips. Like, we, we're going to have to watch this when we move to 4th Street. Because our job is not to bring our white American culture to 4th Street. It's a very diverse area. Our job is to bring Jesus to 4th Street. Does that make sense? Okay, and so we all like our culture, and this reality, like we, we are at part of this church because we like the culture of this church. But the reality is, is our job is to bring Jesus. And Jesus might sound different in different cultures and different areas of the world. And so what's interesting to me is that we have this tendency to think that worship is not just music, but worship is a very specific genre and, and style of music these days. And we need to get away from that. Because... I like that you can sing all you want to and still get it wrong. Worship is more than that's a good line, right? So, in Amos, and here's here's our starting verse for the day. You ready for this? Just brace yourselves for this one because this is a, this is a hard one. I hate this is God speaking through the prophet. I hate I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs, I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings forty years in the wilderness, people of Israel? You've lifted up the shrine of your king, the pedestal of your idols, the star of your God, which you made for yourselves. I find this so challenging. Because God is like, hey, your assemblies, your congregational assemblies, your festivals, your feasts, and all these things that you're doing, you're doing them out of repetition. And in fact, you're bringing in your own style of worship to this thing that I didn't ask of you. And so I'm, I'm done listening. And God forbid that this ever become true of our church, of the American church, of the Western church, but of our church. That God would sit there and go, yeah, I'm done. Not listening anymore. Sing all you want but you're missing it. So here's what I want to do. I kind of want to break this thing down into a couple different segments today, right? Worship. Like, what is worship? When we, when we talk about, last week, we talked about bowing down and kissing the feet of, but 
Like, what is worship to you? In its most, like, kind of broad strokes, terms. We're spitballing here, by the way. So, Glorifying God. Praising God. To humble ourselves before Him. What is worship? And it's most like broad strokes, if it's not just music. Sacrifice, acknowledging who God is. These are all really good. Any more? A one-on-one with God. One of my favorite uh, definitions was a response to all that God is with all that we are. I like that one. Okay. Now, what, what's being said here in Amos is you come up with your own ways of pleasing me and I'm not okay with this. And have you guys ever gotten a gift from somebody that was more of a gift for them than for you? Right? So, like, let's say, you know, Christmas is coming up, and I'm like, you know what? I want to take Danielle on a vacation, and I'm going to pay for it, and I'm going to, and that'll be her big Christmas gift. And you know what we're going to do? We are going to go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and we're going to go to see the Browns play against the Steelers in December. Danielle, baby, let's go on a trip. And she's like, that's not a trip for me, that's a trip for you. Right? Anybody ever had, I know it's an extreme one, but we've all gotten those kind of gifts before, yeah? And that's kind of what's happening a lot of times during worship is, is we're bringing the gift to the Lord that we think is appropriate, that we think He wants, and it's really more for us than it is for Him. Is that fair? So what did it say God does want? Well, God wants justice that rolls like a river. He wants righteousness that that flows like a never-failing stream. In other words, He's saying, I want you to live this out. I don't want you to just sing your songs. I don't want you to just gather up on Sunday mornings. I want you to actually live the faith out. Is that fair? Ooh. Is it just that we weren't paying attention? Is that fair to ask of us? Like, he wants us to actually live this thing out. Not just attend Sunday services, not just sing the right songs, not just say the right prayers. He wants us to actually live this faith out. Amen? He wants your words and your actions to represent Him on a minute-by-minute, moment-by-moment basis. God wants your life to be an offering to Him, not just your music, not just your musicality, not just your singing, not just your half an hour on Sunday mornings. So, first discussion time. How can the following become worship to God? Your work life, your family life, your neighborhood life, and your church life. All right? How can you make those things uh, a response to all that God is with all that you have? How can you make it something that glorifies God? How can you make it something that's pleasing to God? How can you make it something where you're humbling yourself and lifting Him up? How do you make that a sacrifice of worship? Group it up. Go. All right. So, how can the following become worship to God? Everything in life should become an act of worship, a sacrifice, an offering unto the Lord. Now, it's easy to sit there and say, like, we know what not to do, right? But what should we do is always the, the more difficult question. You know, it's easy, especially in Christianity, it's very easy to sit there and go, well, I should stop doing the bad stuff, right? I shouldn't cheat. I shouldn't steal. I shouldn't lie. I shouldn't murder people. I shouldn't <laughs> commit adultery. I shouldn't 
Watch pornography. I know I, I know all the things I shouldn't do. What should we do, though? I much prefer the the proactive approach than the sin management approach. John 4.24. <laughs> John 4.24, God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. This gives us something that we can actually do, right? Worship Him in spirit and worship Him in truth. So let's, let's talk about these. Worshiping Him in spirit. What's that mean? Your spirit is your inner life. Right? It's your heart, your mind, your soul, your will. When you talk about your spirit, your soul, that's what this is. Your, your, your inner being, the, the reality of who you are. You are in a husk of a human body right now, right? Sometimes it's really awesome, sometimes it stinks. The older you get, the harder that husk becomes, and it, it doesn't heal as quickly, and th- praise the Lord that this is not it. All right? Okay, so your spirit is your inner life, your emotions, your will, your mind, your heart, and all those kind of things. Genuine worship only happens when the very core of our being is involved and engaged in, in, in the things of God. All right, genuine worship only happens when the very core of your being is engaged and involved with the Lord. Now, I went out and I found a bunch of videos of people kind of giving it half. And I was like, I don't want to show this on a Sunday morning because it's really boring and lame to watch people kind of like half things, you know, like where their core of their being is not fully engaged. And I don't know if you guys saw this. This was like a year or two ago. This is a, uh, it's a, it's a kids group in Japan. Actually, let me just get it playing because it takes a few minutes. Um, can you bring up the sound just a little bit? Bring it down here. So this is a kids group in Japan and this guy is all in drumming for kids at these little concerts and stuff right so just give it a second but the jo- the the the, uh, the video is titled when you're overqualified for your job but just just enjoy this nothing special yet Eli and I could probably handle this, right? Right? I watched these videos. This guy is a rising star in Japan right now. And they have videos all of... There was actually like a, a Discovery Channel little mini documentary on this character. 
and how he's this like heavy metal rock star for kids. It's fantastic. And it only comes because he's all in. You know what I mean? Like he is in spirit. Like his spirit is fully engaged in drumming for children. Yeah, there you go. Right. Yeah, totally. Last song, right? So genuine worship is this heartfelt and honest, transparent and raw, all completely engaged in whatever it is that I'm in right now. Lord, do you want to share what you were, what we were talking about this morning, by the way? Can we do that? I should have asked you beforehand, but... Yeah, I was uh, sharing with Brian <coughs> that uh, I was up at my mom's this week helping take care of my mom. She's uh, experiencing dementia, and it's really quite sad and profound. And my sister works with her on the regular. She lives at her house, and it's overwhelming. And I was talking to my sister about what she's doing, and I was saying uh, the... The work that she's doing with my mom is, in my opinion, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, uh, the purest form of worship that I've ever seen. Because she is serving somebody who can never, ever return thanks. My mom doesn't remember what you made for breakfast for her. So it's like the most thankless job. But my sister does it with such grace and such love and care for my mom that it's it's staggering and I was saying I really believe that she is actually worshiping God in caring for my mom because she's doing it only for the love of my mom but more for just the love of Jesus in her heart and she's she's doing it for nobody and that pure worship, in my opinion, you know, it says uh, true religion is is feeding the, the orphans and the, and the widows. And, and I, I think that that's the truest form of, of right. religion or worship is doing something that nobody else yeah. can appreciate. Right. And that, that can be, and it is, worship, right? Now, you can also do it begrudgingly. You can half it. You can just do the bare minimum and, you know... I make sure my mom gets breakfast and whatever, but she's not going to remember it anyway. Or it can be an act of worship, right? Where you're doing it as unto the Lord. And by the way, you know, when you do it as unto the Lord, I'm pretty sure that means you're treating that other person as if they were Jesus. And so if you were taking care of Jesus while he was sick or while he was down and out and that sort of thing, you would probably give everything you possibly had to taking care of Jesus. My mom did the same thing with my grandpa over the past couple of years. Grandpa had dementia, and it costs you everything. You spend all day, every day taking care of these people. That can be a form of worship, right? Your job can be an act of worship unto the Lord. In fact, we're called in Colossians to work as unto the Lord. And your job can be an act of worship. The way that you treat your neighbors can be an act of worship. We just need to be more intentional, more cognitive, more cognizant, of the fact that every one of these aspects of life can be an act of worship, that worship is not just limited to music on Sunday mornings or the music that I listen to on Christian radio. Does that make sense? Because here's the deal. Let's flip it a little bit. Did you know that you can pray and not worship? Like you can pray and not be worshiping, right? If you're just praying routine prayers that you've heard over and over and over again, and it's not fully engaging in your spirit, you're not actually fully giving into this moment, it's not worship. You can serve other people. You can serve here at the church and not worship. By the way, 10 years in senior pastor ministry here, oh, I've watched people not worship. 
with their serving. Right? Like, you are not engaged. We are, you, are, you are more damaging to what we're trying to do right now because you are so complaining. You are so disengaged from what's happening in the spirit right now. Why don't you just go home for the day? Right? You can... Yeah, or the year. You can sing and not worship. Just because you come into a song service on a Sunday morning does not mean that you're worshiping. In fact, there are plenty of times, even this morning, when I, like, man, my heart and mind were just elsewhere. Let's be real. The Browns are playing the Pittsburgh Steelers today. It's the 4 and 1 Browns versus the 4 and 0 Pittsburgh Steelers. I am dying to check my phone right now and see what the score is. I'm not going to. Because it's ridiculous. Like, when you put it into that mindset, you're, but we all have those things where you know, your mind is like, I just want to check this. I got to check my Facebook. I got to check my Instagram. I wonder who's texting me. And you get those little notifications. Or you have something going on this afternoon. We have a council meeting this afternoon. I got to make sure that my heart and my mind are not fully in the council meeting yet because the council meeting hasn't started. I'm here with Jesus right now. Now, when you put this into the perspective of relationships, how's that like when you're with your significant other and they don't get off their phone? You go out on a date night and the person that's across from you is just texting everybody else in the world while you're with them. How's that make you feel? A little devalued? This is the creator of the universe, people. This is the one who spoke everything into existence, and he's like, just be with me. And we're like, yeah, but the Browns game is on right now. And I'm so dying to know, like, Where's that fervor to just be in his presence? Like, why don't I have that itching and that longing to just engage with what he's doing right now? You feel, you feel me? You get what I'm saying here? Okay, I don't want to belabor this anymore. I feel you. Okay. We, we, we used this verse last week, and I just want to re, restate it. You shall love the Lord your God with all, say all, all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, all of it. Worshiping in spirit means all of our hearts must be His. And if God doesn't have our hearts, then nothing else you do when you come to church really matters. Right? That's like number one priority. Surrender that heart over to the Lord. All right? Discussion number two. What things should you avoid, cut out, or get rid of because your heart's not in it? And I mean this in terms of good things. You're doing them for the church. You're doing them for Jesus. But your heart's not in it. What should just get cut out or changed or avoided because your heart's not in it? Because by the way, it's better for you to be hot or cold than to be lukewarm. Because if you're showing up and you're doing it just for the sake of doing it, according to Revelation, God vomits that out of his mouth. He doesn't like that at all. So, you know, just take the high road and be like, yeah, I'm not engaged. What do I need to get rid of? And then the other one is what adjustments can I make? that can make me go all in. So that when I come to church, or so that when I serve, or so when I you know, lead this Bible study, or when I have this home group, or when I serve at kids' church, or when I do these things, what is it going to take for me to go all in? What adjustments do I need to make? All right, ready? Five minutes. Two. I think this is one of the things about Christianity that when I gave my life to Christ, I connected with so well was the need to go all in because I'm the type of person that goes all in in anything that I do. Right, So when I was in music scenes and bands, it was like, I am going to get signed and I'm going to go on tour. When I went into the animation industry, it was, I'm not going to settle for working at some podunk little you know, studio that does commercials. Like I want to work at one of the premier studios like Nickelodeon, and I'm going to figure that out. Right, And so when I gave my life to Christ, it was one of those, 
oh, I get to go all in, and that's what God asks of me? Like, it clicked with me, right? So that's the spirit side. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit. you got to go all in with the heart and the mind, but also in truth. So we're called to worship in truth. Now look, when I, when I say this, most of us in, in, in modern Christianity, we think, yep, our song lyrics need to be sound. And that's fine, I agree. We should have, you know, scripturally, doctrinally, theo- theologically sound lyrics. But the problem with that mindset is we get this nitpicking that happens, like sloppy wet kiss. <gasps> Remember that? Like, so John Mark McMillan writes this song because his friend died in a car accident, and he said, and heaven meets earth like a sloppy wet kiss. And Christians were like, how dare you? And every church was trying to figure out how to change sloppy wet kiss because that wasn't appropriate for church, I guess? Which I still don't understand. Because the sloppy wet kisses that I've ever gotten were from babies. <laughs> right? Like sloppy wet kisses don't come from your passionate lover, which they, I guess they might, but the sloppy wet kisses... You know what I mean? And by the way, all we need to do is read through Song of Solomon. I know that in our modern language, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us. Like, your breasts are like that of a goat. We went over this a couple weeks ago, remember? But, like, it's like it's weird and it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. But it is incredibly inappropriate how those two are talking to each other by church standards, right? And here's the deal. Like, the sloppy wet kisses generally don't come from, like, your passionate lover. Like, the sloppy wet kisses come from little babies. You ever get a kiss from a baby? And it's just like drool everywhere. Like, and it's just wide open mouth that just like covers your face for a second. Like, I think that's what this is. It's more of a father and, and child relationship, right? In that sense. And so here's the deal. We went nutso over this, these couple of words, sloppy, wet, kiss, totally inappropriate for church. And so everybody's trying to rewrite it and reconfigure it. And frankly, it almost sent that artist away from Christianity as a whole. Only on his latest album this year has he started to really kind of come back into like the faith where it actually sounds promising and hopeful again for this guy. Because we just ruined him as an artist. We were like, we don't want your weird, artsy, artsy lyrics and such. And we did it again, by the way, a couple years ago with Reckless Love. God's love is not reckless. Come on, what are we talking I was just meeting with uh, some friends of ours from Ohio that they're, they're uh, youth... They're next-gen pastors in Ohio. And we were talking about these, kind, these types of issues. And reckless love divided their church. Like 800 people. And he said there was a couple that was so adamantly against singing that song that if the worship team ever started that, the, you know, that, the first little, the little lick of it, they would march out into the foyer and wait. So eventually they did. Eventually, they said, enough of this, we're going to another church. And they took a whole handful of people with them. And they showed up at the next church, and guess what song they played for Sunday? <laughs> oh, the overwhelming... Yeah, it was just like, like, look, some of this stuff is artistic expression, and if you read through the Psalms, not all of it is truth, if you will. Okay, not all of it is... God says this, and we often read our Bibles wrong because we think that the entire, the entirety of Scripture is all, this is what God wants, how He wants us to live our lives. And frankly, that's not true. 
David cries out in agony and in pain, often in the Psalms, and so much of it is so theologically off because he's hurting and he's in pain and he's crying out, God, would you just kill all of these people that come against me? That's not okay. You know what I'm saying? And I'm not even saying that like reckless love is that, it's not. But it's okay to sit there and sing songs that have artistic meaning and subcontext and all that. Like it's, it's 100% acceptable. And it's 100% acceptable, by the way, to pray and worship and sing in anger and in, and in pain and in hardship. There have been sun, there have been days when like things have been going to hell for me. And I would come to the church and this big empty sanctuary and I would sit two chairs down. And sometimes it would end with me like throwing a chair across the room. Because I'm like, God, I don't understand what you're doing right now. It was worship, man. I was all in and I was all engaged. I ended up every single one of those times on my face and on my knees saying, I'm sorry for being so mad at you. But how many of you know it's okay for Jacob to wrestle with God and have his hip socket popped? It's part of worship. And sometimes we're so sticklers and nitpicking on the lyrics of songs, and that's not what it means to worship in truth. It doesn't mean that we have to listen to only hymns because hymns are so doctrinally sound, which most of them are not, by the way. But that's the claim. I love hymns because I love how like rich they are lyrically. The fact that we get like four or five verses, I like that. As a writer, I think that's cool. However, you know, most of them started as like drinking songs. <laughs> they did. They were all like Irish and English drinking songs. They, like especially the three-quarter ones, right, where they have that little swing to them. Like, they just took old stuff like that and they morphed it into, like, a Christian song. And, you know, I'm pretty sure there were people complaining about that, that this wasn't in truth back then. That's not what we're talking about. Lyrics are important, no question. But I think when it's, we're supposed to worship in truth, it's more of the, kind of the relativism that we, that we live in today, where it's, I just want to worship God my own way. Like, how I worship the Lord is how I worship the Lord. And it doesn't have to be the same as you. And I understand that, but we've taken these things to such an extreme where there are no, there's no foundation for how we worship anymore. And there needs to be. We have to worship God His way, not our way. Fair? We have to worship God the way He wants us to worship Him, not the way that we think we should worship Him. The reality is, is if He created this whole universe and he set the rules out. If this is his game that we're playing, then he gets to define what is worship and what's not. He gets to define what's right and what's wrong. He gets to define those things, not us. Even if it doesn't fit our paradigm, our culture, our society, if he says it, it is. And that's what it is to worship in truth. That there is an absolute that he declares and we have to do it his way. Look, let me put it this way. We need more than just sincerity to worship the Lord. Like, sincerity is good. And again, you need to worship in spirit. You need to worship sincerely. But it's not enough to just say, I'm so sincere in my approach to God, I come to Him through the Almighty iPad. Like, that's not how we've been called. The, the, iPad, the Almighty iPad is not the mediator between God and man. It's Jesus. You follow me? Like, we can set up as many weird ways as we want to, as many different ways as we want to, to say that we're worshiping the Lord, but if it's not the way that He set it out, then it really doesn't matter. By the way, this is where the Samaritans used to get it wrong. Uh, they were so sincere about their worship. Even when you read through the Scriptures, if you're reading through our Bible plan, uh, we just read through this story where Jesus ministers to the Samaritan woman at the well. What's interesting about that story when you read it is she says, hey, look, this well was set up you know, by our ancestors and we worship here. 
So they are worshiping, and they're worshiping sincerely, right? They're all in. And we think of like the Samaritans as like they're just so different from the Jews, and so they're they're outsiders and all that kind of stuff. But they're trying to worship according to God's law and according to His word, and they're just missing it. They're com- they're completely sincere in all of their worship, but they had an incomplete information because they only used the first five books of the Bible. They didn't take all the all the other books of history, all the prophetic books, and all the poetry books. They said, we only have those first five, and that's all we need. So, all the sincerity in the world does not make our worship acceptable. Does that make sense? We need to worship Him in spirit and in truth, meaning we have to have some sort of plumb line foundation, some sort of launching point that this is how God asks us to approach Him. And it's completely reasonable for Him to do so. Right? So, in our culturally relativistic society, we need to sit there and be like, well... Though this doesn't seem right to me, though this doesn't make sense to me, though I don't fully understand why he would even want to do it this way, you're God, I'm not. You make the rules, I don't. You're Lord, I'm me. (laughs) So, worship team, come on up. We're going to close with this. I know this is super obvious to us when we're looking at like other people. By the way, most of the time, it's much easier when you come to church and you hear something super convicting to go, man, Brian Bleeker needs to hear this this morning, right? Fred, man, I hope Fred gets that because that was a good word because I know Fred worship, he, the way he worships is just so far off. He needs to get back centered on the Word of God. You know what I'm saying? Like we have, It's so much easier to blame shift and to push that onto other people. By the way, I don't believe that about Fred or Brian Bleeker. Just a heads up. Okay, everybody. It's way easier to look at the world and say, yeah, the world is trying to worship its own way, and the world is, is, is approaching God from all these different angles, and the world is being relativistic. Yeah, so are we. You know what I mean? If we really take an honest look and reflect on our own nonsense, we have formulas, we have built systems and processes in, is, processes in place so that worship becomes engaging you know that you're going to come in and we're going to sing a song that's kind of upbeat to just to get everybody engaged and to get you out of the foyer. It's going to be loud. Because we want you to know, hey, service has started. Right? So get in here. And then, you know, after a song or two, we're going to bring that puppy down. Because you're prepped now, right? Like that heart is, we've broken through that hard soil that's been hardened throughout the week. And now your heart's like, malleable and ready and so then Zoe starts singing something that's like whoo that's fire right and you're like oh Jesus but we can't leave you like that because we're going to teach something afterwards and so you're just like snot running down your face and tears and oh it got so good and so we kind of have to bring it up a little bit again at the end just so you can celebrate a little bit so that you're not dripping on everybody that you go give a hug to right it's a formula it's a process. We all know it. We just, we like it. Right? And just because it's like that process, by the way, exists nowhere in the Bible. Never does, never does anybody teach. Paul did not say, here's how I would run my worship services. Four songs, maybe five if we're really feeling it on a Sunday. Start fast, bring it down, lift them back up right at the end. It's not like these are, these are man-made things. You follow me? Are we worshiping our own way? Or are we being led by the Spirit? We do it too, just as much as the world does. That's all I'm saying, okay? So, 
Would you stand with me? I want you to reflect on this for a few minutes. And we're going to ask the worship team just to play. Find a spot in the room. If you need to kneel, if you need to sit, that's okay. If you need to just get with Jesus for a second. I want you to ask Jesus this question. Am I worshiping God's way or my own? Reflect on it. And then the worship team will lead us in, in a closing song. All right? That's your question for now. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we want to surrender this question to you. And I, I really do want you to search our hearts. And I, I'm, I'm lifting myself up as much as anybody in this room. There's a way that seems right to me. But oftentimes I can get stuck in the way that seems right to me. And, and frankly, that way that seems right to me can lead to destruction. I could be completely missing it. And so as a a self-reflective thing, God. I'm surrendering my, my heart, my mind, my spirit, my, my will. I'm bringing it before you right now as an offering. And seeing, would you, would you pick it apart? Would you, would you correct me? Would you shine light in the dark places? Would you expose the areas where I'm holding on to it and where I'm worshiping my own way. Because I, I really believe that I know my heart and I, know, I believe that everybody that's here this morning is in that spot of we want you more than anything else. We really do. We have tendencies and patterns that we fall back into, especially when we leave this, this house. But we don't want to. We want to worship you in spirit and in truth. We want our lives to, to live out our faith. We want our lives to represent you to every person that we come into contact with. We want justice to flow from us. We want righteousness to flow from us. We don't want what Amos prophesied for you to hate our songs. We love the way that we worship here, but it's all just clanging cymbals, it's gongs, it's noise. If it's not love, if it's not you. And so we just take a few minutes to reflect, and, and, and I'm going to suggest that we all you know, write down what we hear, journal it, write it down, put it in our phones. But we just want to spend a few moments reflecting and saying, God, where, where, where are the areas where I'm worshiping my way and not yours? And then we surrender those things to you in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, spend a few minutes.